Well, it is good to see you. It seemed like uh, the first service was taking a little bit of time to gain some traction. But ladies and gentlemen, our perspectives on things can sometimes be flawed. And when a young man comes in here and he is seeking Jesus Christ and, and, and God shows up and the man surrenders his life to Christ, that, that's okay with me. What about you, Baptist? Is that okay? Okay, I, I want to make sure that's okay. But uh, that was incredible to see God at work in that way. Uh, Tim has, uh, he is speaking to a men's group in Mexico uh, to this morning or for the past few days. And then he will come back Tuesday morning. He'll be here Wednesday. And then he and the Brazil team will leave uh, for uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. They'll leave next Thursday. So uh, I will be in Florida finishing a, a, a class on campus there. So Neil, our youth minister, will be preaching this next Sunday and the next. And so uh, I encourage you to come and hear what God is doing in the student ministry and hear how God is moving uh, in Neil's life. He is certainly a young man that is growing, and I would encourage you to be there also. This coming Wednesday night, what he's talking about is very important. Um, if uh, you have a smartphone of any kind, that thing is applicable to you. There are a lot of things that sometimes technology outpaces us, and we need to uh, be at that. So I would encourage you to be there. And uh, you might say, well, I don't have any kids or, or any in the house or all that, but guess what? You are around families that do, and in reference to the message today, if you are out living for Christ out in the world, there is an opportunity for you to share what Neil would cover on Wednesday night. So please, uh, if you can, uh, I would love to see you there. He's put a lot of work into this, and he does this every year. Well, it, again, it is good to see you. And uh, Pete, uh, Tim had finished uh, in Second uh, Peter last week. He went up to verse 10. And so, uh, as we had said a while back, whenever I'm preaching, I'm going to pick it up right where he left off. And I will be in verses uh, 11 through 17 this morning. But in order to set that up, I want to I throw a curveball your way. You may disagree with me, and that is okay. Uh, but I have it on good authority, ladies and gentlemen, that there is extraterrestrial life, and it is an indisputable fact that that life is walking around on this planet amongst the citizens of that planet, of this planet. And you would think that this extraterrestrial life, I'm not talking about E.T. from the, the 1980 or whenever that came out, but you would think, ladies and gentlemen, that at, that extraterrestrial life would look different would talk different, and would act different than the indigenous peoples of this earth. But unfortunately, it is oftentimes difficult to distinguish between the two. Now, the aliens that I'm talking about are not little green men jetting around the cosmos in a saucer-shaped ship. The, I am talking about aliens that the Apostle Paul refers to when he is speaking to the believers in Philippi, and he is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and he is telling the believers there, he says, Folks, we are not citizens of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. In essence, we are aliens. So being interpreted, ladies and gentlemen, you may love Brenham, Texas, but Brenham, Texas, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is not your eternal destiny. There is a whole lot more going on than what is going on in this little town. And this is not where you will end up. It does not matter where the tombstone rests that has your name on it, but that is not you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, though we may have a funeral, you are not in the box and you are not in the ground. The real you has gone on because this isn't where you belong. You're only here temporarily. So you are an alien. You are an extraterrestrial alien that is temporarily residing on this earth. And with that understanding, the Apostle Peter he was speaking to believers some 2,000 years ago, and he was referring to them as aliens. And so what he told them then and there is very applicable to us in the here and now. Hence, we are aliens, and as we are aliens, we are awaiting the return of our king with an uppercase K. 
So with that in mind, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we will be reading verses 11 through 17, and I invite those that are able, if you would stand and honor the reading of God's Word, that the Holy Spirit hovered over the Apostle Peter as he wrote this to people in a difficult situation. Starting in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That is also in some translated. I love how the New Living Translation says your unbelieving neighbors. So among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let us pray. Father, it is an absolute utter impossibility that we can on our own even come close to fulfilling that text. The only way that we can resemble what Peter is writing to his audience then and there is that we would do it in the here and now with the Holy Spirit, His enablement. Father, we must do this amongst other believers. This is not us doing this all on our own, but it is doing it collectively, the body of believers. And Father, is our prayer that You would groom us in the time that we have together, that we would leave here better than when we came, and wherever it is that you're sending us, whether it is Brenham or Chapel Hill or Burton or Somerville or any of the other little towns all around here, perhaps outside this county, wherever it is that you send us, Father, the words on these pages would be fresh on our mind and that we would be a representative of the King. Father, the Holy Spirit would enable us to do that. Father, that you would watch over those who are going to distant lands to proclaim the gospel. Father, bring them back to us safe. And as always, I pray that you would speak through me that I do not speak in error. As always, we give you all the glory and the honor. It is in the precious name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You may recall that the audience to whom Peter is writing were some 2,000 years ago in what is called modern-day Turkey. And they were dealing with the ebb and flow of life, the, the struggles of life, being a follower of Jesus Christ in a fallen and a godless society, in a godless culture, and that is where that they lived. And so what Peter is writing them, that while you are in that land... You are not to align yourselves. You are not to habituate your life in the practices that the culture is doing, those worldly practices that go against the things of God. Yes, you are to live in harmony with your neighbors. And yes, you are to live and respect the authority figures that are in your life. But you do, when you do that, you are patiently waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. And while you're doing that, you live that out as an example of He who redeemed you. So to live for Christ and represent Him means that from time to time, ladies and gentlemen, and this is not fun, from time to time we will be on the receiving end of persecution. It's going to happen. Jesus received persecution. He said, if you're my follower, if you're my disciple, if you're my apprentice, you're going you're gonna to be on the receiving end as well. We saw this last week in chapter 2, verse 8, where Peter said that 
he's speaking of Jesus, the, the chief cornerstone, and we are but little stones that are aligned to him as he is the head. He's saying that Jesus Christ, what he stands for and what he represents, it is an offense to a godless world. The things of the world, the people of the world, do not like the things that Jesus Christ stands for. You know why? Because there's only two ways to look at Jesus Christ. Either he is your Savior, and if you reject him, he will be your judge, period. And the world hates that absolute truth. There's no good guy. He ain't your friend. He's not some little rubber statue on a shelf. He is the second person of the Trinity. He was the one that God created the heavens and the earth for. He holds it all together. And ladies and gentlemen, he is your savior or he will be your judge. And I hope today that if you, he is your judge right now, that you would have a change of citizenship, that you would become an alien here in Burnham, Texas, and that he would be your savior. Please do not leave here if he is not your savior. So the recipients of this letter, the recipients of the letter that Peter is writing to, and for the believers today, Peter is telling them that, hey, this is how you're to live. This is, this is how you're to live out this faith, this God-empowered faith, and he tells us this is how we do it, first of all, by some things that we need to avoid. And he gives that to us in verse 11. Notice there in verse 11, he says, Beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain, to, to not be involved in fleshly lust which wage war against your soul. Now, you will see frequently in Scripture, you'll see the word therefore in a New Testament letter. Or you will see something where the word phrase will be the word beloved, and then following the word beloved, if you ever see I urge you or we urge you. You ever see anything like that? What the New Testament writer is doing is he is shifting his focus. It is still the same letter to the same recipients, but he's shifting his focus, shifting gears, if you will. And what he's saying is, is based on everything that we had covered so far, now this is what you are to do based on who it is that you are and what it is that I've told you. And typically, when, he's, when the New Testament writer is telling us what to do, laced and woven in that are words of encouragement to encourage us to do what it is that, that God's called us. So when we come to verse 11, Peter is now telling us that this is the conduct that the believer, that the alien is supposed to have, that we're to be characterized by a Christian worldview, and that that is to affect the various relationships that are in our life. It should, the relationships in our life, they should see that in us because we are aliens, we are foreigners, and we are strangers, which means we are but temporary residents where it is that we live. And that is very key because in the culture to which Paul is writing, when you would move to a different area, from a different culture, you typically did not acclimate yourself with their customs and their ways. You would maintain the culture from which you were. You moved there. You still had to live in the society, but you were a unique household. And Peter is reminding the readers there that he's writing to in, in what would then modern-day Turkey, the phrase suggests don't get caught up in what is going on. There was a danger in getting sucked into that lifestyle. And Peter is saying there are certain things that you need to abstain from and that you do not need to get caught up in the beliefs and the practices and the culture that you should act like one who was redeemed, who was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that reality should be stamped on you that wherever it is that you go, it's like a postage stamp. God is sending you where he's going. That should be stamped on you, and people should see that you're different. So in a sense, Peter is, is telling his his, his readers then and there in the world today, folks, this is not the final straw. This is not the end of the story. We're just passing through. This is not our final home. But yet, while we're just passing through, and while we are, as a believer in Jesus Christ, getting closer to either the return of Jesus Christ or when we will go meet him, there are things that are supposed to be in our life and that are not supposed to be in our life. Look how Peter describes it. He says, first of all, abstain from fleshly lust. 
literally stated, what this means is, is that you are to push back, you are to keep not at arm's length, but beyond arm's length, and while it is pushed back, you are to hold it away, the lust of the flesh, so that you are one that can impact the world for Christ. And how you do this is there has to be a a God-initiated inner discipline that is within you that is enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what you do is is that you do not fall to the temptations that you push away any of those things that would be inconsistent with the will of God in your life. You don't invite those things into your life. You don't bring them into your home. You put up a roadblock. You cover all areas. You lock all doors so the lust of the flesh are not coming after you because Peter says, he says, the lustly flesh, they wage war, not on your body, but war on your soul. They are coming after your soul. And he describes this in military terms. And when there's warfare going on, there's not any good, there's not any nice guys in war. That's not, not what war is about. And he, and he says that this, this, these lustly flesh, uh, or this fleshly lust that wages war against you, it's almost like rebels that are trying to overthrow the government and drag you into it, or guerrilla fighters who are incessantly coming at you. They're, they're trying to wear you down, and they, they, what they want to do is, is they want to steal your joy. They want to trip you up. They want to take the peace out of your life. They want to they mess up your testimony, and they want to mess up your usefulness as a witness of Jesus Christ in the culture. It is not just a simple little week-long war, ladies and gentlemen. This is something that is a protracted military campaign that will not cease until either Jesus Christ comes back or you go to be with him. So what that means, ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, if you're a male or a female, or you teach a Bible study or what, you are to put roadblocks up so these lustly flesh that are seeking to destroy you, you keep them at bay. Because if you do not, and they sink their fangs into you, what that does is, is it will... It will mitigate your communion with God. It will hinder your spiritual growth, and it will destroy your testimony in this culture. And you would think right there that we could close the Bible up and move on, but Peter's not done. He's got a whole lot more for us. And he tells us that, that he, he describes this even further, and he says it's important that we understand this, that we live like this. Look in verse 12 and why he tells us this is important. He said... Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or the unbelievers so that these Gentiles, these unbelievers, that in the thing in which they slander you, so in other words, they're slandering us as evildoers, that they may, because of what our good works, not being a passive Christian that never speaks up for the things of God, that while we're engaged, that we're stepping into and doing the Christian life, as they observe them, and they will, what happens when they observe you and you're living that way? That they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So to effectively evangelize wherever it is that God's sending you, whether that be in the home, the workplace, the neighborhood, the cul-de-sac, it doesn't matter. Okay, If you're going to Mexico or Brazil, it's all the same that what is to be on display is a transformed life. In other words, it's somebody that is under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is saying that out of that, we keep our daily conduct, our behavior. We keep it excellent. Are you going to be perfect? No. Don't go around and talk like you're perfect and act like you're perfect because you're not. There's only one who's perfect, and, and he got up out of that grave and sits at the right hand of Father. But yet we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do not pattern our life after this world. Don't get caught up in the junk. Don't get caught up on the mess. Don't get sucked into junk that you have no part of because you, my friends, are marching to a different drumbeat. We don't get caught up in the things of this world because it is a lost culture that's dying and on its way to hell. And ladies and gentlemen, that's not where I want to go. I want to go up there to be with God. So I'm going to march to his drumbeat. And the pagans in the culture, 
then they were slandering the believers. They were making it downright difficult. They were being mean and nasty and vile. They were like a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. And so they were calling and they were criticizing the believers and referring to them as evildoers. In other words, they were cooking up evil. That They were accusing them of all manner of things like disloyalty to the emperor or disloyalty to the, to the leadership of that area that they were promoting unlawful customs, do, not laws, but customs. We, we can't act like this in this culture. Okay, that's what they were accusing the believers of doing. And they were accusing the believers of slandering the pagan gods, troublemaking, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This proves, then and there and now, that when you live for Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, criticism from time to time is going to be unavoidable. But because of that, you do not have the excuse to go out and give the world legitimate calls to legitimately indict your integrity. We don't go out there and give them reason to refer to us as evildoers or refer to us as going out and acting the part of a fool. Their rhetoric and their slander is to be refuted by an unbroken record of kingdom living, kingdom empowerment, and going out together as the body of believers. And can I tell you something? The world's not reading this thing. But they're reading you. And when they read you, what are they reading? If they're not reading this in you, perhaps you need to get it off the shelf and dust it off. Maybe go to sleep at night and lay it on your head or something. I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, the world is watching. And you're not perfect. And so the world needs to see not a perfect person, but a redeemed person. And a person that has joy in that, in that redemption. And so the conflict that's in this society that's going on, that is anti-God, can I tell you something? It is not going to be won by your aggressive behavior. Going out and, and wanting to line everybody out and straighten everybody out and, and tell them and just, just destroy them. No, it's not going to be done by that. It's not going to be by, by going out and, and, and straightening everybody out on social media and all that rhetoric. And can I tell you something? And it's not going to be done by you refusing to be involved in something and then going around and telling everybody how moral you are. That, the world doesn't care about that. The world wants to see reality. And we, when we play cotton candy Christian, they see right through it. And then they slander us. Give no open door to that. So we do our part to win or to share or to love, to teach about Jesus Christ. And we do it out of good deeds, out of the humility of a redeemed, out of a reformed, out of an under-instruction heart, and that we overcome evil by doing good. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the only thing that is going to cause this culture to turn from where it is and even consider glorifying God. But when they see your actions day by day, that would lead them to glorify the God that is working through you. Would you like a little scripture on that? I'm glad you said yes. The greatest preacher that ever preached, preached the greatest sermon that was ever preached, it was in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus was preaching to his disciples. And there is a verse there that, that Jesus uh, was sharing with his disciples. And it says this in Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your light. I want to stop here for just a minute. The light is not in you. The light that he's talking about is coming down and through you. So I want to ask the question. The light that is going through you, the light of Jesus Christ. Is it bright or is it a little candle about ready to go out? How bright is the light that is coming through you? Let your light shine before men, before women, before teenagers, before kids, in such a way that they see what your good works, not sitting idly by on the, on the sideline. No, the, you're living out the Christian life. They're watching you, and then when they see it, when your walk and your talk and your testimony line up, along with a humble heart, it says, what do they do? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So if, if they are going to glorify God, they have to see it in us, okay? And so when are they going to glorify God? It says in the text there on the day of visitation. Now this, 
this, that one verse can be a message all on its own. So I've got to really condense it down, and I can't cover everything that that verse means. But this, uh, in, in the New Testament today, let's, let's, let's cover this portion. The day of visitation is when God shows up, like he did with Joseph here this morning. Okay, God showed up. And, and Joseph realized that he was broken in sin and without a Savior. He knew who the Savior was, and he asked a group of men to pray with him. And we prayed with him, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. That was the day of visitation, okay? So when I came up and I, and I shared that with you, and I walked over to Joseph, I said, Now, Joseph, none of these people here know you, but look at how they are applauding you because you are now their brother in Christ. He recognized that. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the day of visitation for us, and he recognized that. So in society, when God shows up and someone is saved, they look back and see all the people that had told them about Jesus Christ. My Lord, I was a rebel before I got saved, but when I got saved, everybody that had ever tried to tell me about Jesus Christ that I've said, I ain't got time for that. The Holy Spirit brought that to my memory, and I remember every one of them as if it was yesterday. He was validating that he was moving. And so for those who refuse Jesus Christ, there's a day of visitation for them as well. And that is in judgment. And you will bow a knee to him, and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. And there are some commentators that have said that you will remember everybody that ever tried to tell you about Jesus Christ that lived for Jesus Christ. Just like I did when I got saved, you're standing there before God, and you refused him, and it will come to your memory that he tried to reach you. There is no excuse, ladies and gentlemen, for not accepting him. And so Peter is saying that in order to be an effective evangelist, the most important thing, the most effective thing is that we would make the gospel attractive and believable by the way in which we live. I know I'm driving this into the ground, but ladies and gentlemen, that is to be a part of our DNA. For instance, let's say that I went to the doctor, and I don't know how you do this, but let's say that they extract a whole lot of my DNA. I would be a different person because the DNA is sort of the, the whatever it is that that's, makes you up, okay? So the gospel is to sink in and be a part of your DNA. And when you have that and then you live that out, Peter is saying, based on that, you're to honor the authority people and the structures that are in your life. Look at verses 13 and 14. So I'm going to add the word believers, okay, who's Peter's writing to. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors is sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So as a citizen of heaven, as an alien on this earth, okay, just passing through this earth, I'm not here forever, my first submission is to be to God, to the Word of God, the will of God, and the person of God, second person of God, the Trinity. I have to recognize the divine authority there. But unfortunately, sometimes Christians will take that, and there will be a misapplication of that truth to some Christians that will become indifferent with those that are around them, they will become arrogant in the culture because they think that they're right and everybody else is wrong, and they will show a lack of appropriate respect and appropriate response to the world that is around them. And ladies and gentlemen, when we act like that, when we go out of here, notice I keep saying, we go out of here better than when we came in. When we go out and we act like that, we are forfeiting an opportunity for the light of Christ to be seen in this world. And we are forfeiting the opportunity for a positive testimony. Yes, we live in this world. And yes, we are aliens. And yes, we are not going to be here forever. But don't let that cause a detachment of you from the world we live in and the culture that we live in. And we balance that with proper respect for legitimate institutions that are on this earth. Now, in the first sermon... I attributed Hebrews 13.1, but my good friend Lauren Bree said, Alan, you need to go over a couple of books to, to the book of Romans. Okay, so Romans 13.1, I got it right this time. And Romans 13.1 says God establishes the authority structures that, that are in our lives. 
They're instituted by God. So think of it like this. You might not like who's in office either locally or at the county or at the state or the national level. You might not like them at all. You might might hate them. You might pray that they get the fever and die, die and you think their mama dresses them funny. You might, you might not like them whatsoever. But ladies and gentlemen, Romans is telling us that God establishes the authority structures in our life and we need to lift them up whether you like them or not. You know why? Because a bad politician is better than no politician. Because when there's no politician and there is no one in authority, you have what is called anarchy. And as soon as anarchy hits the culture, who is going to be the first one that's probably going to be persecuted? Believers. So there are those structures, whether we like all of them or not, they're not perfect people, but we need to pray for them and lift them up. Look at what Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You'll see it on the screen behind me. He says, first of all, he says, then based on the premises of what we've been teaching, though it is a different book, then I urge that entreaties, or those are requests, and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for the kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet life, in all, a, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So how we interact with government, ladies and gentlemen, God is saying, that is your witness and that is your testimony. Get over yourself and let people see a kingdom-minded man or woman in all that's, tap that's taking place. Guess what? You might not like all of Trump's tweets, okay? I don't have Twitter, so I don't get them. Okay, And you might not like them, but instead of going out and, and, and having only about that much real information and, and, and going out there and saying a whole lot of things that you really might not know what you're talking about, why don't you get on your knees and pray for the man? You know why? Because every four years there is a presidential election. And guess what? There's been a sinner in office since George Washington set foot there. And guess what? In barring Jesus' return, everybody that comes down the road is is going to be a sinner. It is amazing how much energy, emotion, and passion we put into politics. I can remember when McCain and Obama were running, and I, I was in North Carolina, and I was going to vote, and, and it was cold and wet, and it was just downright nasty, but it was dark. And already there were a whole lot of people out there. I just happened to be the first in line. There were a whole lot of people out there holding their signs. It was dark. Nobody could see their sign. But they were already out there standing in the rain, chanting their, their politician and all that. And I'm thinking, I go, hey, that's a church member over there. My gosh, where you been? I see you're getting all excited about this. I don't ever see you. You know, when it's time to pray or have a men's function or something, I never see you around. And I'm thinking that God is, is sitting down in heaven and looking down and saying, why in the world are you getting so worked up and passionate over a sinner? Why don't you get excited about my son? Nothing wrong. I think Christians need to vote. I think Christians need to be involved in the political process. I'm not knocking that, and I'm not knocking a sign in front of your yard or anything like that. But where is your priority? Is it on the things of the world or the things of Christ? And so, ladies and gentlemen... That is what the world's looking for. That is what they want to see. And so we have to commit to that because the potential of our witness goes up when we are consistent. And why do we do that? Notice what the text says. The watching world would praise those who do right. That we would have our witness, our walk, our talk, and all that we do in alignment with the Word of God. Are you going to do it perfectly? No. Admit that you're not going to do it perfectly. But when you make a mistake, get around some brothers or some sisters, get prayed back up, let them dust you off, and then go back out and start it all over again. Now, if that wasn't enough, you would think, Peter, he's covered it all. No, he's got more to say. Here's the reason for the submission, and you'll see that in verse 15. He says, for such is the will of God. So living like everything that we have just described, it is the will of God. 
It is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So he's telling his readers then and there, and he tells us here and now that, that recognizing the authority figures and the authority structures in your life and being appropriately involved how he leads you, okay? Notice how I'm phrasing this. It is good to be involved in things. Be involved in the culture. I wish more Christians were God involved. But make sure your witness is not tarnished. Okay? And so when we are involved in, in the local government or, or supporting them, what we are to do is that we are to live away in such that we silence the critics and we give them no legitimate basis for coming after us or slandering us. Notice, no legitimate basis. They're going to criticize us anyway, but don't give them a legitimate basis to do that. Eliminate the illegitimate slander. Guess what? Jesus did it. You know how I know he did it? Jesus paid taxes. He was under the law. He had to. And if that wasn't enough, he told his disciples to pay taxes. Regardless, if your hard-earned tax dollars went to things that Rome did that was contrary to the will of God, Jesus never once said, well, you pay taxes only if you feel like it. You know, I don't feel like it because my tax return wasn't near as big as I wanted it. Okay, I got in the flesh. No, I'm just kidding. But, but uh, I got to pay taxes. You pay taxes, okay? You recognize the authority structures that are in your life. Pay them, do them right, so that when you have conversations with people, they are seeing that you have a consistency in your life. And such a life silences the foolish ignorance that would come at us. And they have no valid negative response of evil or wrongdoing against us. And then Peter continues. Let me back up just a minute. When we, we live like that, we mitigate condemnation and we elevate the potential of commendation. Not that they're condemning us, but they would commend us. That is the, we don't go out and do it for that, but that is the lifestyle that we should live. And then in verse uh, 16, he says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. The right attitude with the right surrendered heart is vital if we're going to maintain credibility with a watching world. As we live out our freedom, they are watching us. And you see, we have the freedom that we get to enjoy this life. We're not under the umbrella of the sting and the power of sin. We're not under the umbrella and the sting and the power of of Satan's bondage. And the ultimate sting of death has been removed. But Peter cautions us that we would not use the freedom that we have in Christ as a covering for doing evil or for doing things that are wrong or as a justification for disobedience. I have seen people, unfortunately, who think they're right in their position but they are wrong in the disposition in which they attempted to carry that out. God did not put you on this earth to straighten everybody out that you encounter. He doesn't need you. He can handle it. Now, will he use you to correct things? Absolutely. But please do not think that your existence on this earth is to line everybody out. I assure you that is not the case because you first of all need to pull that big log out of your eye before you go try to straighten somebody else out. But in all humility, love people so that they see Christ working in you and they need to see the freedom that you've been delivered from bondage and that you have chosen to be a bond slave of His and that you know that you're loved and you are not having to work to earn his affection or his favor. And don't live out the freedom that you have in Christ. I've seen this to be sour with our attitude or condemning for getting where you've come from. The freedom that we have 
should be enjoyed and an observing world should see it. Where were you when God found you? Let me tell you where you were. You were picking up steam headed to a place where he was not. You might have thought you had it all together, but you didn't. And so, think about this. God had been working in individuals, maybe one individual, maybe individuals or a group, maybe a church or something like that. He had been working through those folks to reach you. And and when you were reached, your life was changed. So that that transformation, the the knowledge of that transformation should be ever present on your lips. And the world needs to see that and what that looks like. And so we have the freedom to live that way and that others see the joy that is on our heart because we have been rescued. Never forget where you came from because that will be a motive to keep you moving in the direction that you do need to move in. And then finally, Peter tells us that in the Christian life, there is nothing outside that sphere regarding relationships. Notice how he says that in verse 17. It says, honor all people. Not just the ones that go to your church, where you work, that live in your neighborhood or have the same hobbies or any of that other stuff. Okay? It says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. That would could be translated the body. Fear God and honor the king. Okay, honor all people. Do you realize that whoever it is that you encounter was created in the image of God? The same amount of image as you. And by the way, men and women are created in an equal amount of the image of God. I sometimes doubt that when my child were two years old. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, but everybody is created in the same amount of image of God, just like you, okay? And so we are to to fear, or so we're to honor all people. And the only difference between you and them is Jesus Christ. And somebody that I just mentioned a second ago told you about Jesus Christ. Where would you be without that witness? So when we go out into the culture and we honor all people, do good to them, but say, is the door open for me to share the gospel? Because in truly honoring them, I would tell them about my Savior. That's how you honor people. The next one is love the brotherhood. We're to love everybody. But Scripture is clear that we are to love those who are in the body of believers. And what this means is, is that we're to love each other in here, even on our worst day. Let's say that you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, fighting with your spouse on the way to church. You had a flat, and it's raining, and it's cold. That doesn't, doesn't mean anything. You are to love the brotherhood. You're to love people, okay? And so, but especially the people that are in the household of God. And we're to love them the way that God loves them. He loves them unconditionally, an agape love that is a sacrificial love. It is a love that doesn't expect anything in return, and it expects no rewards for extending love. Do you know that to extend love costs you nothing? But too often we won't do it. So we are to love the brotherhood, and then we're to fear God. And we fear God out of when we offer reverence to Him as our Lord and our Savior. And we glorify Him when, when we make Him number one in our lives. And we fear God when we fear doing anything that would bring discredit upon the name of Jesus Christ or we fear misrepresenting Him in the culture in which we live. That is fearing God. Are you going to do it perfectly? No. I've messed it up a lot of times. And I go to the Lord and I ask for forgiveness. I say, Lord, help me the next time that I'm out sharing Christ with the world. And then honor the king. Doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter if it's a king, a governor, a senator, 
a congressman or woman, mayor, doesn't matter. That we are to honor the king. You know what that means? <laughs> that means that the Christian can live under any form of government. Any form of government you can live under. And since you can live under it, and we do, Peter is telling us to honor those that are in authority, even when it hurts. But it goes this far. If the government that is established demands or requires that you would be disobedient, overtly disobedient to the Word of God, in other words, if the government tells you to murder somebody, or your loyalty to the things of Christ, then it's gone too far, and then I will have to suffer the consequences of that because I'm going to go with my Lord. But I've never been told to do anything remotely like that. I've never been ordered to violate my allegiance to Jesus Christ. That does happen in the world, and we may face that someday. But in the meantime, we have a clean witness for the world as we're honoring who is there. And you see, we do live in this fallen world. We live here temporarily, and again, the only difference between us and them is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, is it any less important today, ladies and gentlemen, since you have been redeemed, since people loved on you, told you about Jesus Christ, you were able to see God moving, is, is there any reason that it is any less important today that you would go out and represent Christ to this community? And wherever it is that he's in you, what is getting in the way of us doing that? Because the culture is wanting, even though they don't recognize it, is wanting to see Christ in us. And we won't change this culture, ladies and gentlemen, because I got a sign on the side of the building out here that tells us when the doors are unlocked. That ain't going to do it. That ain't going to change the culture. It is not going to change the culture because we got a cute Facebook picture and a comment on Facebook. That is not going to change the culture. And, and guess what? We're updating the webpage. It's going to be real cool. But guess what? A fancy webpage does not change the culture. Those things are important, but they do not change the culture. And all of that is important. But ladies and gentlemen, what is the most important is that when we live surrendered lives dedicated to Jesus Christ and the world has no other explanation that to attribute our behavior to Him working through us. And so are you living as an alien or are you living as one of this world? Only you can answer that. Are you an extraterrestrial alien, meaning that your home is in heaven? Or are you getting encapsulated in the things of the world? We should live our lives so that the world cannot legitimately slander us. And so let me ask you this question. We're almost done. Does the world see the joy of your salvation in you? Or do they see that you're sour, avoiding every... Do they see the joy of your salvation? Because the world needs to learn about Jesus Christ, and who are they going to go to but a believer in Jesus Christ? And your joy will be attractive to them. And so they may come and talk with you. That leads us to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that Tim will cover in a few weeks. Looky there, and I'm going to paraphrase that. And we're going to leave that up there for a little bit. Notice what Peter is saying. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You know what that means? He, he's number one. He calls the shots. He's in charge, and you're not. There's only one Messiah per universe, and you and I aren't it. We sanctify Jesus Christ as number one in our lives, and that through the study of the Word, through living life in the body, we are ready to make a humble defense for anybody who asked us to give an account for the joy, the hope that is in us, and we do it with gentleness and reverence. If you don't have the joy of Christ in your heart, perhaps He's not there. It's one thing to say that you know Jesus Christ. It is an altogether different matter for him to say he knows you. It's not how you feel. It's based on fact. Does he know you as your Lord and Savior? If not, that's not where you want to be.
So, do we have Jesus Christ? And if we do, we're not perfect. We collectively in the body, we go out and we represent Him. And when we mess it up, we ask for forgiveness. We confess that we did mess it up to a watching world. And we say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I didn't represent my Lord the way I should. So I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what you're facing, what you have faced or what you will face this week. Perhaps you don't have the joy in your heart because up until the point that gentleman Joseph over there, he didn't have the joy in his heart. He accepted Jesus Christ. It was amazing how his countenance changed. Hey, he, he was a macho guy. Got three guys around him just bawling like a baby. Folks, that's real. And so maybe you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. Or maybe you do, but you don't feel the joy. It's because you have put so many things up from Jesus working in your life. And when that is the case, you're putting things in the way of being a witness in the community. Peter says that can't stand. So what is it? Do we need the Lord? Do we need to move the things out from the Lord moving in our life so that we can move in the culture? Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's, maybe there's a doctor's report that we're facing. Maybe there's, there's just something that is wearing at us, that is wearing us down. We're going to see later on in 1 Peter 5, 7 in a few weeks. The NIV says, cast all your anxiety on me because he cares for you. So I want to borrow a lot of phrases from the Apostle Peter because we need them. Whatever it is, I would love to pray with you, some of our elders. Uh, Walter and Linda Sinsat would love to pray with you, but don't leave here until you reconcile that with the Lord. Please, would you please stand? Father, so very much for loving us and not giving up on us. We mess it up, perhaps more than we get it right, but we're yours. And Father, you equip us to send us out. Thank you for that. Empower us, Father. Not doing it alone, but with a brother or a sister. And that lives would be changed. The talk of Brenham, Texas would be the things of God that has to start with us. Father, if there's something pressing up on us, help us release that. And Father, the soul that is furthest from you, would you touch that this morning? That they would come with the empty hands of faith and grab a hold of your nail-scarred hands and say, yes, Lord, I need you. That is you. Do not delay. Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.